Welcome to Picked Voices, the interview series conducted by the faculty of the Paris Institute for Critical Thinking with notable members of the broader Picked community. Now, our goal is to present our community with a variety of voices across the spectrum of the humanities and critical creative thinking. My name is Christophe van Houten, and today it is my pleasure and honor to be joined by my good friend David Kilpatrick, Professor of English and Sports Management of Mercy College. Hello, David, and welcome. Hello, Christophe. It's a, a pleasure to speak with you. It's always great fun uh, anytime we can uh, to speak with one another. So I've missed you very much and uh, looking forward to this conversation. Yes, it's going to be great. So, David, for the few who haven't heard, the World Cup of football, or soccer, as you call it in the US, has recently started in Qatar. And I thought, who better to talk to about this event than you? So why don't we begin at this very beginning and say a couple of words about the World Cup. What is it and why is it so important? Well, of course, you know, uh, the, the, the World Cup, the first ever World Cup, for those aren't familiar with the history of it, began in 1930 as sort of an alternative to the Olympics, which, uh, of course, uh, was based on principles of amateurism. And uh, uh, so FIFA is, a, although it's a member of the, the International Olympic Committee, it started up their their tournament, uh, although the organization of it was perhaps uh, uh, it's most polite to say was uh, conducted by gentlemen amateurs uh, in the uh, organization's infancy, um, although they didn't always conduct themselves as amateurs. And certainly the commercialization of the game really uh, kicked in from, say, the 1966 World Cup in, in England when so many capitalists saw great great opportunity, whether it was uh, uh, great, you know, whether it was British pounds or American dollars or, or whatever denomination of currency it may be. And uh, the game has never been free of corruption. Uh, the, the, the debate over uh, professionalism in the uh, in, in the 19th century, when the when the sport, when it was in its uh, its infancy, uh, you know, there were accusations of corruption right from the start. You know, if we go back to, if you will, the, the start of football, uh, you know, we could we could locate it institutionally with the, uh, the the meeting at the Freemasons Tavern in Covent Garden, London in October 1863. But the, the World Cup, certainly by the 1966 one and then in England and the, the one in 1970 in Brazil, or excuse me, when Brazil won in Mexico, um, became a, a truly global phenomenon with uh, my my childhood hero Pelé, uh, when he is his third, um, uh, and uh, so as the the tournament evolved, um, and corporate sponsorships uh, played uh, more and more and more of a role, um, the 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 influx of of cash, um, and the entrenchment uh, of leadership, um, really kind of uh, spelled a, a perfect recipe for for corruption. Um, and so, uh, you know, I have to admit in 2010, I found myself sitting in the couch in my living room, uh, awaiting the, the news as to who would uh, be, receive the bid for the 2018 and 2022 World Cups, a rather unprecedented gesture on behalf of FIFA uh, to award two cups at once with the expectation that 2018 would be awarded to a European nation and the 2022 tournament awarded uh, somewhere to the rest of the world. The front runner for 2018, of course, was was England, uh, with uh, 
the, the prince and uh, David Beckham and other royalty uh, rather self-assured that they had the best bid. And by all objective measures, surely they did in terms of infrastructure. Um, although Russia, no slouch when it comes to sporting infrastructure. Um, but, you know, in hindsight now, now uh, with Russia excluded four years later from, from world sport, um, obviously, the sport washing element of that is is all too apparent. Um, and of course, uh, the shock when uh, then FIFA president Sepp Blatter lifted the envelope and those those five letters revealed uh, the name of a nation, quite frankly, so few around the world had ever heard of Qatar, mm. which is much the point. Right? Uh, this small uh, uh, peninsula. Um, with a very, very tiny population, but you know, the world's wealthiest nation, not because of oil, they'd run out of oil, uh, but because of the gas reserves they mm -hmm. had. Um, but uh, little little protection um, from uh, uh, threats uh, in the Middle East themselves. They had uh, formed quite an alliance with the United States geopolitically uh, from, uh, from 1990 on, uh, which again, a lot of people don't know that uh, it was Iraqi tanks that were the first ones to... Uh, uh, go up and 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 confront uh, Saddam Hussein's uh, forces when they had uh, crossed over into Kuwait and then in, were starting to go into Saudi Arabia, um, and they courted the favor of the United States by building an over billion dollar air base and asking us to park there, um, and that was the beginning of their their attempts to to become a, a more prominent world power. And um, while they're taking an awful lot of criticism, especially in the Anglophone media. Um, the 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 Qataris played the game the way the game has been played, right? So mm -hmm. um, accusations of corruptions, you know, there's the one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie, is Apocalypse Now. There's that line in there about, you know, handing out tickets uh, to, for speeding at the Indy 500, right, or at an F1 race, right? Um, you know, acting corrupt in a in a corrupt system, um, mm -hmm. no more corrupt than other parties in many ways. But um, of course, there's so many other issues. The whether it's uh, 6,500 migrant workers dead, uh, dead uh, in the construction of this, as Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International have reported, or if the numbers are uh, 37 migrant workers have died while there and three only on the job. Um, so whether you're saying three have died or 6,500, I don't know if we can hear the, the, the voices of 6,500 dead or not, but... Um, uh, the efforts to sport wash with this tournament might be seen to be backfiring right now in Qatar. Yeah. Um, but again, sometimes sport washing can go both ways. So perhaps the, the, the global scrutiny uh, might, might lead to more progressive reforms there, but uh, mm. we wait. If, if, if I can interrupt you here, cause you're actually getting into what I was going to ask you next. And so maybe we, we, we can, we can focus here on, on, on this aspect. So, so FIFA, you already mentioned that it's the international governing body of uh, association football and not of amateur football, but of association football has done, uh, as you already listed, uh, a lot of stupid things and, and, and it has yes. had, it has received serious critique. But for a lot of commentators, especially from the English talking world, as you just said, this World Cup and the World Cup and the World Cup in a place like Qatar is by far the worst thing that it has done. And indeed, you already mentioned there are 
a, an enormous amount of problems that this edition has brought forth. And there are the uh, sports-related issues because uh, in the heat, the World Cup had to take place in winter. Uh, but this is yeah. in the midst of the European football season, and so many championships have to be have been put on hold. Then there's also the societal problems of slave labor, you already said, but also the energy wastage because playing in the desert, you need airco in the stadia. And I think seven of the eight or eight of the nine stadia, they have actively air conditioning present. So the amount of energy that is wasted for a couple of games of uh, football is, is quite enormous. Then there's obviously yeah. the bribery you mentioned, and then there's the uh, problem of inclusion or the lack of inclusion in the Qatari nation. Then there's obviously uh, now lately, and I found this really funny, that there's the, the they're not selling beer in the stadia. And uh, <laughs> it's well, the beer is, is, is not the problem, although looking at some games without beer might be an, an, an horrendous event to go through. Uh, but it, it seems that uh, considering that FIFA did not take the decision on the beer or not, because they are obviously sponsored by an, an enormous uh, beer company, it seems that they have also lost control over its most important tournament. But yeah. then if one looks at the other side around, and, and I'm coming to the end of this very long question, I just want to hear your thoughts on, on all of these. But So if you turn it around, uh, then because of the tournament taking place in November, most top players are not that tired yet from a long season of national leagues and international tournaments. So we might actually see some really good soccer or football going on. Then, unfortunately, also, Qatar has uh, not the exclusivist rights on slave labor or on the rights or the lack of rights on minority. And as to bribery, you already mentioned that FIFA is champion on this. And as to beer, uh, as Infantino, the FIFA boss, already said, going a couple of hours without beer uh, is not the uh, worst thing that can happen. And to be true, uh, in most European stadia, there is... Uh, 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 you can't drink beer during the games either. So, so there seems to be a lot and an awful lot of going on here, and there, it seems to be quite a contrary-wise and and, and a quite an antithetical discussion. And maybe it's just talking besides the point. So, how should we interpret all of this? Oh, yeah. You know, let's just start with the beer. Uh, in that, you know, um, yeah. One should always start with the beer. Yes, we always start with the beer, don't we? <laughs> um, but you know, yeah. Talking to several other Americans, they were kind of surprised that when you go to a match in England or Scotland, that you're not allowed to take a beer into the seat with you, right? And so this idea, oh, you, you know, you know, you can, you know, surely you can go 90 minutes or you know two hours, you know, the usual length of, of a match, you know, uh, 90 plus five with the intermission, you know, like going to the theater about two hours, right? Um, you, you can go without beer in that time, but it, that's really not the point. The point really is that. Uh, promises were made and then broken, and in this case, at the last second. So, um, yeah, any of us who've spent time in 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 Muslim countries know that you know maybe at your hotel you can drink to your heart's content, no problem. But you go out in public and and you know you you abide by what's there, and it's and it's not available, and you deal. Um, that 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 really isn't the issue. It's a matter, you know, again the the corporate sponsorship, right, of of say Budweiser that have given millions and millions and millions. And FIFA has been assuring all these people. So, you know, people who are under certain expectations as they're uh, already arriving at, at the site to, to learn that this is, again, a legal thing um, is a big problem. Again, uh, along with, say, uh, you know, the LGBTQ community and Qatar saying that it's welcoming to all people here. Um, but but of course, they're not suspending their their law that prohibits uh 
uh, two people uh, exploring love in whatever way they, they, they see fit. And uh, if, if FIFA is to be uh, truly inclusive um, in a global way, um, it's all really just kind of highlights the, the, the challenge for any cosmopolitanism. Um, you know, cosmopolitanism has to start with respect for the local, uh, but when the local is an affront to decency, how then do we negotiate that? So uh, Infantino gave this, this incredible rant uh, a couple of days ago at a press conference. Today I feel, <laughs> today I feel Qatari, yes. he began. And then he ran through a laundry list of marginalized identities uh, that he, he seemed to find a way in that press conference to offend nearly everyone. Uh, globally, uh, didn't exactly share uh, any sense that he was cultivating empathy, quite the opposite. Um, and and uh, so it's it's really a matter of of how do we negotiate um, being being uh, open and inclusive and respectful uh, of others um, in a way that uh, that also respects the local. And um, this tournament is, you know, I, I think so much of the coverage, especially uh, Anglophone coverage, has been so absurdly hypocritical and, uh, and unbelievably reductively dualistic on this. Uh, you know, uh, and, and really racist, quite frankly, uh, in, in terms of their depiction of, of Qatar as just Arab and depicting all Arabs as if uh, uh, there's no difference between the Islamic State, uh, you know, ISIS or, or Al Qaeda, and uh, a, 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 an emerging global geopolitical uh, nation state such as such as Qatar. Where you know the, the situation on the ground, uh, I do have some friends who live in Qatar. Um, my my classes at Mercy have had some uh, the last two semesters. I've had joint sessions with students at the Georgetown University in, in Doha. Um, and, and the situation on the ground is, is obviously uh, far more complicated. Uh, so mm -hmm. the, the narrative we're being sold is, is so uh, oversimplistic that, uh, well, we, we need to be rather, rather cautious and suspicious of these dominant narratives. To be sure. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Also, it, it takes us immediately to, immediately to, to um, the million-dollar question. If so many countries, and especially Western, because it's not just the Anglophone countries, but it's it's most of the Western countries, if they're so against Qatar organizing the World Cup, and if they consider it so so awful, then why didn't they boycott this event? <laughs> well. If that's a million dollar question, the answer is it's worth more than a million to each, right? Uh, it, it, you know, the finance uh, rules on this, and uh, I think the, uh, um, the 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 prospect of a boycott from any of these nations. I mean, uh, we saw several nations this morning: uh, Germany, England. Uh, I'm afraid the other nations that made this joint statement uh, are escaping me right now. Uh, but they were uh, they were going to wear a one love armband, mm. uh, and and they uh, they have taken it back already. Yeah, they, they took it back because of the threat of a yellow card. I'm sorry, if you're yeah. not willing to take a yellow card, you're not really you really aren't standing up for your principles all that much if you're not willing to take a yellow card for it. You know. Yeah. And and then um, unfortunately, like like Infantino, you, you mentioned his rambling and and the hypocrite. Then then it shows that it, it, he was the biggest hypocrite. But today, the other nations who are accusing him of being the biggest hypocrite are demonstrating that they're even bigger hypocrites. 
Absolutely. I, I don't know if there's a, a documentary that just came out last week on uh, Netflix, if anybody still subscribes to that. Uh, but it's getting a lot of coverage here. It's called FIFA Uncovered. And, mm -hmm. and I just kept laughing out loud through the entire thing at, at, at the hypocrisy. So many people playing as if they were virgins at the orgy. Mm -hmm. um, the very people who, who themselves are still empowered in, in, a, in a just as corrupt, if not even more nefariously so, system, uh, acting as if they were shocked, so shocked uh, to learn that their dear friends and mentors and protégés and, and, and predecessors uh, had been corrupted by, by all this wealth, when they themselves are still completely enmeshed in that. Mm -hmm. um, people who've been in leadership positions for far too long, um, empowered to, to really exploit their, their, their circumstances and, uh, um, you know, who, who really suffers? Well, the, at the grassroots, money that's intended to be uh, spread at the grassroots. So even the, even the, the, the bribe money that the, the Qatari uh, uh, football leader, Mohammed bin Amin, uh, gave to, to um, Caribbean nations within CONCACAF, to try to sway their votes away from the USA to Qatar. So there's a real internal betrayal within CONCACAF, our, our mm -hmm. regional government body, right? Yours there is UEFA, ours is CONCACAF, mm -hmm. uh, South America, Hummable, and, and so on. Um, right, he, 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 he was frustrated that Sepp Blatter, the then incumbent uh, president of, of FIFA, um, doled out a million dollars to uh, Caribbean grassroots programs. Um, and so not knowing how to counter that money that was, you know, clearly bribe money for the uh, upcoming vote where they were to, where they were faced off. Uh, he was frustrated as a as a candidate against Blatter. Why wasn't I invited to this meeting as well? <laughs> so they had arranged a special meeting in Port-au-Prince uh, to uh, allow him to to meet them. And and so he says to the the, the then head of, of Concacaf, Jack Warner, well, what should I give them? Uh, you know, and so it's a matter. Well, do you give them watches? Do you give them cars what do, what do you give them he said well okay i'll just give them all forty thousand dollars cash and they can see fit to do with it what they will and let's say it's for grassroots football well what's to say that that was disingenuous right the, you know if you hand them the forty thousand, are they collecting the 10 percent as the american chuck blazer did regularly mm -hmm. the only reason chuck blazer went down uh was because he he neglected to ever file his taxes with the internal revenue service which mm -hmm. you know you, you, you simply cannot do that. Um, if he just would have reported the money he took, he didn't actually really break any laws in the U.S. other than not claiming the money on his income tax. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, he's no longer with us. Uh, he, he died rather isolated in a, in a hospital in Hackensack, New Jersey. Um, as Billy Joel might say, who needs a hospital in Hackensack? Is that all you get for your money? <laughs> uh, so this guy dies alone, scapegoated for the corruption in the United States, but the corruption goes on. And so in four years, we've got a joint a bit. So you want to talk about, uh, you know, environmental uh, catastrophe, right? You know, flying all around between the, you know, in cities across the United States as if that would be enough. But add in Canada and Mexico to the mix. What kind of uh, what, what kind of cost will this be to the planet uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, eco footprint are, are we really talking about here so yeah also um, and and we have here a, a an exception in the system in the united states to the 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 sporting integrity statute of fifa um where we don't have promotion and relegation we have a handful of billionaires who have an absolute stranglehold on the game in the united states which as a consequence 
the United States Soccer Federation, which is our national governing body, which claims its mission is to make soccer the preeminent sport here in the United States, they're actually doing anything but. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so soccer remains, although it's it's an incredibly popular participatory sport, nearly every five-year-old American boy or girl plays the sport. But by the time they hit 13, they've stopped and uh, they, they don't become fans uh, mm-hmm. at the higher level. So yeah, we will watch the women's national team, which still does well at the, at the international level. Uh, we'll watch the game today. We're playing Wales. On Friday, we're playing England. Um, and next Tuesday, we're playing Iran. So uh, some tradition, especially with the England and, and Iran games, uh, that to, to, to excite the, the patriotic fervor. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the game remains uh, culturally marginal here in the United States. Um, you know, I, just by way of to, to explain that, I, uh, I asked my students in two sport classes in the spring. I was teaching sport literature and sport and society. I asked students in both classes if they knew who were the defending champions of our, of our first division, which is called Major League Soccer. Mm-hmm. I asked two classes, all of them registered for a course in sport. I said, do any of you know who's the defending champion of Major League Soccer? One student in each class knew the answer. In the first class, in Sport and Society, it was a German student who's a midfielder on the men's soccer team at the college. Mm. He knew because he's a soccer player. And uh, one woman in the other class, in the sport literature class, knew, but that was because she was dating one of the players on NYCFC. (laughs) The champions are playing about 12 miles away from campus, and nobody knew but two people in Mm. two classes. Uh, So that, again, really speaks to the the marginalized role of soccer still at the professional level in the United States. And that's because it's being restricted by uh, the interests of a handful of billionaires. Yeah. That's and why you see so many Americans investing in football clubs around the rest of the world, because yeah. they're better yeah. investments, better opportunities. Now, all, all of this, what we have been talking about, brings us to, to your recently published book, uh, which uh, has 95 theses on the reformation of football. Now, before I pick your brain a bit on some of the topics present in uh, these theses, there is indeed quite the list of reasons why football needs reformation and, and probably even more than the church uh, required during Luther's time. However, and this I think is, is a good place to start, uh, you do see association football as something to hold to. Uh, so you don't want, for example, to turn or to return to an exclusively amateur football as starting point. I think this is a very good uh, point to start our conversation about your uh, reformation of football. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, professionalism within football really began with, with a group of people uh, referred to as the Scotch professors. Um, mm. That was not a term of endearment. Professor was used as a, in a pejorative sense at the time. Uh, so I, you know, it wasn't like, oh, these these gentlemen are are, are scholars of the game, uh, you know, who are professors teaching the game, um, and so we should pay them for their expertise. No, um, the, the the pejorative sense of professor was, you know, it was it was ironic. It was mocking um, because their professionalism was something that the um, the rather elite gentlemen of the uh, football association and you know based uh, in london at the time um, their their sense of sporting amateurism which of course really won the day with the coubertin's uh, uh nascent uh, olympic movement right the the idea that uh, a, a, a gentleman would, would not stoop to uh uh turn play into work 
Mm -hmm. um, but the the working class uh, uh, men who who came uh, from the border uh, came across the border from Scotland and into uh, England and uh, and helped draw really great crowds with their uh, innovative at the time they called it a scientific method, right? The the combination game, right? The, prior to that, the English style of play had been rather akin to trench warfare, uh, where mm -hmm. one person would just be dribbling. And then, uh, you know, they would go, you know, wave after wave, back and forth, back and forth. Whereas the Scots uh, had a, a, a form of play that was based on on passing. Now, so there's some different origin myths about this. And I have some some friends in, in Scotland who are celebrating the 150th anniversary of Fitba, as they call it. Mm -hmm. um, this week, in fact, marks the 150th anniversary of the first international football match between a a, a truly Scottish 11, not a bunch of Englishmen who happened to own land up in Scotland or, or had, you know, aunts or uncles or cousins living there uh, that they wanted to represent Scotland, but a, but a true Scottish 11 uh, is competing against a, an English 11 in, in Scotland, in Glasgow. Um, so there's a great deal of research being done and, uh, to show how, how football was being played uh, in rural communities. Mm -hmm. Um, in ways that very different from the uh, the festival football that we associate with, say, Shrove Tuesday, mm -hmm. um, not necessarily mass football. Um, but of course, as, as an American, I would point out that it was Charles Goodyear who actually invented uh, the vulcanized rubber bladder football. <laughs> and you can't really pass uh, uh, an inflated pig's bladder accurately, can you? <laughs> I, I shouldn't think so. Uh, the, Scot so the Scottish oh, good. Yeah, apparently they. Apparently, according to my Scottish friends, they must have been able to. But it, it takes a, a vulcanized rubber bladder up to to create the perfectly uh, shaped uh, sphere that allows you to to make controlled passing. So mm -hmm. you know it's not just kind of the the random uh, movement of a, of a ball bouncing wildly. I mean, of of course the uh, the Mayans and their and their their ball games that we found in you know Mesoamerica. Uh, not just the Mayans, but uh, so many of the communities in Mesoamerica um, that uh, when the conquistador when the conquistadors came over, they they found them playing these elaborate uh, games with rubber balls in in, in great stadia, and, um, you know, links to to sacrifice and gambling and and things of, of the kind there. So, um, and of course the Chinese make their claim uh, to uh, Suchu uh, mm -hmm. being the older form of it, but. Um, yeah, the debate over over say amateurism and professionalism, um, really the you know the 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 amateurs um, really you know we still to this day you know we call rugby um, a, a hooligans game played by gentlemen and and uh, the association code uh, uh, a gentlemen's game played by hooligans it really speaks to those working class origins uh, mm -hmm. of the game where um, where you know you would be rewarded for uh, your labor. So uh, the, the the struggle between capital and labor um, was there right from the onset of, of, of the the modern game of, mm. of football. And, yeah. uh, and so the, the, the artists of the game were those Scotch professors. So uh, turning the pejorative to, into a positive, you know, celebrating those early professionals and what they brought to the game. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not uh, advocating some kind of amateur ideal in relation to the players, but I 
would say I am more for that when it comes to the custodians of the game at the administrative level. Mm. Yeah, to, to, to take away the love in the amateurs, the amare is, is, is a negative thing. But I, I agree that we have to, we, we, we need the professionalism of the players. Yeah, yeah. And well, that's you know, and, and this you know gets to the idea too of of uh, notions of expenditure, right? That uh, uh, one takes that which is of value and utility and renders it uh, non-useful. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, you, you you the cost of a jersey, uh, what is it now, Christoph, uh, for an FC Basel uh, top? Is it uh, is it ninety euros, a hundred euros? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, you know, you could you could probably spend your money on a few shirts for work uh, <laughs> you know, so, uh, with that money. But you're taking that money and you're spending it. Right. So the, uh, the, the supporters who go to the stadium, they're, they're taking their time, their money, their energy and they're spending it. They're wasting it, if you will. Uh, so I'm thinking here again, if you'll excuse my French pronunciation, members of, uh, of Pec Le Parmandie. Uh, that uh, George Bataille talks about, right? This this mm -hmm. person share um, that uh, you know. So the the will to expenditure uh, mm -hmm. that we support, whether it's the energy of the athletes themselves, who are in many ways sacrificial uh, in their and their and the energy they expend and uh, the the toll it takes upon their bodies when they perform, and the 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 supporters at the stadium uh, who expended their their money, their resources, their time, their effort uh their their focus uh that's that's sacrificed for the game yeah then talking about but high uselessness and and lepar modi um in 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 your book uh, you don't just mention martin luther uh, for nothing i think that there is the acknowledgement i believe that there is a close affinity a very close affinity even between football and sacrality, even religion and religiosity. And maybe for that reason, the World Cup uh, can be considered for its religious sense as well. And, and for that reason, people think it's so important. Can you say something more about this closeness between football and sacrality or football and religion? And although you don't literally call football sacred, it certainly is implied as such in, in, in your book. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I kind of I, I, I... I go right to the brink of it and imply it. Um, whereas, you know, for me, uh, the word sacred, um, I would first of all translate it as power or energy. Uh, I'm coming to you from Kanajahari, uh, which was formerly Mohawk land. And the Iroquois uh, Mohawks were the keepers of the Eastern Gate and the Iroquois uh, Six Nations. And they had a, a word, Arinda, Arinda. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Lakota uh, had a word Wakong um, that we might translate as sacred, and, and in all these cases, it's it's some kind of power or energy. Um, it's undefinable, but you when you experience it, you know you've experienced it, right? Mm. Um, and um, that's what's being played with, I think. And one of the central premises of the of, uh, uh, at the heart of the ninety-five theses is that the the stadium has replaced the cathedral uh, as, mm -hmm. as the site of uh, um, uh, public worship, and uh, that's where we um, that's where we lose ourselves. Uh, now, it, it's not to say that that doesn't happen uh, still in the cathedral for many. Of, of course, it does, or that it doesn't happen, in, 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 you know, on 
uh, the sacred mountain. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was at Delphi in mm -hmm. Greece. And uh, I would say, yes, that's still a sacred space. I was in Olympia. Yes, still a, a sacred space, no doubt. Um, but um, and, and, you know, a rock concert can can be a sacred experience, I would argue. Um, and uh, certainly the, the really great rock performers can be shamanic in, in their mm -hmm. uh, in their uh, communication of, of some kind of power beyond themselves. Um, but uh, having grown up uh, baptized as a Lutheran, confirmed as a Lutheran, um, I consider myself now, as, as, as you know, on a personal level, I consider myself more post-theological, but I'm, I'm still very much a, a, an intellectual product of the Protestant Reformation myself and my outlook on uh, religion and society. Um, and uh, as soccer has become such, such a Again, in, in terms of religion, religio, this thing that binds us together. Uh, mm -hmm. Soccer binds uh, my family together uh, mm -hmm. in, in our, our shared experience. And um, much as I'm sure Luther felt 505 years ago, um, this love he had for the church, right? He, he, he sought its reform, not its, not its abolition, but its reform. And he sought to, to protest, protest uh, uh, corruption. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, 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 coming from that Lutheran tradition, um, again, and I would see Nietzsche very much, you know, Nietzsche was himself, the, uh, you know, the son of an evangelistician or a, a Lutheran minister. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I see myself in that, in that same intellectual tradition uh, which, you know, I, I made the announcement of the 95 Theses at the Areopagus. And uh, <laughs> said it was, you know, in the spirit, uh, I said it was in the spirit of uh, Paul, or of, of Luther, Paul, and Socrates, I, I stated from the Areopagus. And, and you know, uh, yes, there's, there's a, I hope there's a little bit of a humorous element to it. My mother certainly saw the humor, humor in it. <laughs> My mother had a good laugh, right? She used to she used to teach uh, uh, Bible classes at, at the local Lutheran churches, uh, and uh, uh, so she she got it theologically. Um, but yeah, the other thing that really kind of struck me, in all honesty, um, we have this phrase here a lot in American sport. I don't know if you have it there, if you've ever heard of the idea of giving one hundred and ten percent, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's mathematically impossible, of course, but <laughs> you know, the, the quantitative reasoning never being a big uh, forte of most athletes. But, you know, I heard someone, some coach say a, a while back uh, to his soccer players, we need to give 110% for 95 minutes. 110% for 95 minutes. So, of course, a, a football match is 90 minutes, but very often the extra time is another five, right? Mm -hmm. That really resonated with me, too, as I was feeling... We need reform in football. We need reform in football. And that got me thinking of the Reformation. Say probably about, you know, five years ago, at the 500th anniversary of, of, the, of, of the nailing of the 95 theses, I got really starting to think like, you know, maybe, maybe some theses on football would be a good idea. And I, I jotted down a few here and there. That 110% that for 95 minutes was really resonating with me. And, um, one morning in Montreal, late June this past year, uh, I just kind of had a vision uh, of of this text, um, mm -hmm. and and um, in terms of its design, I'd been to the uh, the design museum in London uh, a few weeks before, 
and was thinking a lot about football and design. And I think that might have been a factor as well in terms of the design of football, how it's been designed. I, I do think that those Freemasons who gathered in 1863, October 1863 in London, I think they they had a really keen awareness of design, right? To, you know, the, 45 to 50 minutes uh, being the average adult attention span, needing an intermission, and then another 45 to 50 minutes. And there you go. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, there's that delicate balance with time and space, right? The, the 11 players on a roughly 110 yard, you know, 11 v 11 on 110 yards, approximately, right? These mm -hmm. delicate balances of, uh, that are temporal and spatial that make the game so wonderful. And IFAB over the last few years, right, the um, kind of the parallel body to, to FIFA, which uh, oversees the, the laws of the game, uh, they've really been tinkering with the laws a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. I've, had to buy, I've had to buy revised edition of the laws of the game each year for the last several years because they keep tinkering, right? So uh, even what was, you know, we used to call it handling. Now suddenly it's called handball. Mm -hmm. right? For years, no, it's not handball, it's handling. Well, now it's that. And suddenly now the, you know, the, where the where the where the shoulder meets the the arm is is actually in play, and they got this new design in this, this past years, and all the introductions of uh, video assisted referee, and all these uh, all these tinkering this tinkering with the game. Uh, so much of it I see is uh, is VAR in particular I see as a Trojan horse. Uh, for both commercialism and corruption, which go hand in hand, of course. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, just just so one one point, if, yeah. if, if, if I can make. Of the publication of Luther's thesis and on, on, on the entrance portal of the church in Wittenberg yeah. was the introduction of a phase of war and schism in Christianity. And although the animosity now has uh, calmed down, uh, we ended up with a whole bunch of different Christian churches. So. Don't yes. you fear that uh, this might be the, if, obviously this won't be the effect, there won't be a war, but if, right. if, if, if the tinkering continues by FIFA and, and if, if a lot of, 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 of changes will be made, they already started thinking about to have a specialized uh, different system in, in Europe on, on, on a more American uh, module of only the best cups paying together. And so they're thinking of schisms already. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you asked that. I mean, you know, even in terms of uh, the Protestant Reformation, uh, you know, last weekend I was in uh, Pittsburgh uh, for the wedding of my niece-in-law, and um, it was in the same uh, Roman Catholic church in which I was married um, mm -hmm. back in 1993. And um, at my wedding and at this wedding ceremony, of course, as Mass is taken, I have to sit there. Mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to take Mass as, as, a, as a Protestant. Although Roman Catholics are free to take communion in the Lutheran Church, um, I'm not allowed to do so. And it, 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 I, I, I mean, I suppose I could have gone up and taken the bread and the wine, but um, that would have been it would have been improper, right? Uh, um, so uh, yes, uh, while there's a, a, a spirit of ecumenicalism, am I saying it right? Uh, mm -hmm. Amongst the, the the churches, that 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 schism remains. Uh, while I was in Greece, you know, I popped in in an Orthodox church across the street. The the church bells would wake me every morning. I was a couple blocks from the uh, the sanctuary of Dionysus on the south slope of the Acropolis, and there's a, a beautiful church uh, right there across the street from 
from where I was staying. So um, I, of course, you know, went in and uh, some lovely old woman approached me, calling me Kiria, uh, <laughs> and, and asked me to, to, to use the hand sanitizer, to, to apply the hand sanitizer to her. And, and you know, such a beautiful sacred space um, and the overlapping of, of temporal relations to the sacred that, that one experiences in that. But yeah, you know, Luther did not want an alternative to the church. He wanted to reform mm -hmm. the church he loved. He wanted, the, he wanted to reform the church he loved. And uh, again, as I said, my mother was teaching Bible study from, from as early as I can remember. And uh, my father was a baptized Methodist and he converted to Lutheranism while I was a, a kid. And so they would, I grew up with my parents having theological debates at the, at the dinner table. That's just what I grew up with. And I was always brought up with a sense of, well, we, we don't, you know, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, right? Um, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Uh, so it's not that you want an alternative to it. So, you know, some, some calls for reform in particular in the United States have, have, uh, have advocated for an alternative federation to the United States soccer federation. And, and that's not at all what I want. I, I don't want an alternative to the United States soccer federation, nor do I want an alternative to FIFA. Um, I still watch the games guilty pleasure as it is. Um, but, uh, I, I, I want reform of these organizations, not an alternative to them, where again, these same problems can simply become re-entrenched in another institutional guise. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you picked up on that because yeah, yeah, I don't think that was Luther's intention for. No, not at all. Heard of churches at all and, and, and nor is it mine now. Good. Good. Well, thank you so much, David. Thank you for this uh, extremely nice conversation. Now, before we say goodbye, though, just one final question. Who, besides Belgium, obviously, who might win? Oh, well, I suppose the overwhelming favorite right now are Brazil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I guess we're supposed to, progressives are supposed to be uh, a little more pleased with Brazil based upon recent election uh, results, but again, <laughs> accusations of corruption there go on, and uh, you know, I, I, in many ways, you know, lovers of the uh, Jogo Bonita, uh, you know, the the beautiful game, uh, Brazil is often everybody's uh, second favorite team. Um, I'm not sure about your Red Devils, Christoph. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I think the time may have passed for that golden generation. But the we'll time was never there. The time I, was I, never I there. tend to agree. I tend to agree. And again, you know, as an American football fan, I have to remind you, yeah, you got, uh, yeah, you had your golden generation, but in 1930, we beat you. Uh, 1930, the United States finished uh, third. And and again, this idea that soccer is in its infancy here is is another narrative that's being spun by uh, those who are enjoying hegemony to try to reinforce it. But uh, I, I certainly don't think the United States has much of a chance, but uh, uh, I, I suppose, uh, 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 you know, I used to live in London, and uh, um, I do. I, I, I am a, 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 a. I have to acknowledge to being an Anglophile, and while I'm no fan of Harry Kane, uh, Saka is such a great talent. He scored a couple today, uh, before before we started speaking today. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if England have the ta tactical flexibility to win this thing. Um, I don't know if Southgate's uh, three in the back. Um, will survive the later rounds or if uh, another tactician may come along and be able to pick them apart. 
uh, or you know maybe they'll disappoint on penalties in the final. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I, I'll I'll say I think the Japanese are going to shock everyone. That's my <laughs> my my. I think they're going to make a little bit of a run, but I don't think that they really have have a chance at winning it all. So I, I'll say probably Brazil, but uh, I'm kind of hoping for for England. Well, I, I, I could not do that with you, so uh, I, I wouldn't mind Brazil, but I could not hope with you for England. But anyway, thanks again, David. <laughs> who do you think, Christoph? before you let me go, who do you think is going to win? Who do you want to win, other than Belgium? Well, I know Belgium will not win, and that's why I keep cheering for them, because <laughs> it's it's so Belgian. <laughs> you know that you're going well, to I lose. I should root for France. I should root for France. <laughs> No, I can't do that either. I can't do that either. <laughs> anyway, thanks again, David. Thanks also to all our listeners for having joined us once again here at Picked Voices. And you, dear listeners, if you like our volunteer work here at Picked, you can uh, always still consider supporting us by becoming an active member of our institution. For more information about how to do just that, please visit our website. My name is Christoph van Houten. Thank you and goodbye.